When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're getting down to the nitty gritty of the Euro 2020 championships now, aren't we? We've got two more rest days before the quarterfinals. Fear not, we are not resting. On rest days, we're looking at tournaments gone by, of course, and today is the turn of Euro 96. 1996, the year that football was supposed to come home. I am Jake from What If Football, and this is the Euro Daily Podcast, episode 25. Quarter of the way there to a century. You can find us on all good podcast platforms, being Apple, Spotify, Acast and Amazon Music, where we will reside after the championships three days a week with new content and rejigged content, but uh, more on that when it comes. Also, we are on Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash whatifootball, where you can get the Euro Daily podcast as well as seven days a week content for the price of a fresh pint up here in Yorkshire, that being £3. Let's get stuck in to Euro 96 and today's show. So 1996 was the year that football was supposed to come home, which means that England hosted Euro 96 30 years of hurt, 30 years after the 1966 World Cup. They had a new manager in Terry Venables after the failures of Graham Taylor at Euro 92, going out at the group stages and even failing to qualify for the World Cup two years later in America. There was bad preparation all around in terms of the England setup. We had the dentist chair in the Hong Kong pre-tournament uh, tour, which even now seems bizarre why England would, in hosting the tournament, travel all the way to Hong Kong, just have a, a pre-tournament piss-up. And um, that led to hate in the tabloids, primarily towards aimed towards uh, Paul Gascoigne, where calls to axe him ahead of the uh, ahead of the tournament were uh, being wielded and wielded violently. Meanwhile, Alan Shearer up top hadn't scored in an England shirt for two years, despite being prolific for Blackburn Rovers in, in uh, the grand scheme of things, winning the Premier League, of course, with Blackburn in 1995. Also, we've got Terry Venables, the new manager, of course. He was to leave after the tournament, announced six months out because of uh, legal issues. So, let's get to the qualification. Yugoslavia and Soviet Union had dissolved since the Euro 1992, which meant the tournament was expanded from eight teams to 16 teams. The risk of failing was reduced, as well as um, UEFA membership had increased from 35 teams to 49 teams, with 
whole lot of uh, former Soviet satellite states being added to the mix. The tournament expansion to uh, 16 teams was announced six months after England won the hosting rights for this tournament. However, despite the doubling of teams, semi-finalists from 1992 in Sweden, finalists from 1980 in Belgium failed to make the cut. Romania had been superb in the 1994 World Cup, breezed through Group A, meanwhile Spain and Denmark did likewise in Group B, and Switzerland and Turkey surprised in Group C. France drew nil-nil four times under new manager Aim Jacquet, and it was a rather transitional squad. Out were the names such as Eric Cantona, Zavaginala, Jean-Pierre Papin, who all failed to qualify for the 1994 World Cup, and in were the mercurial talents such as Zinedine Zidane. Croatia were to go to their first tournament, qualifying alongside Italy after the dissolution of Yugoslavia. Meanwhile, Netherlands beat Norway on the final match day to leapfrog them to force a playoff with Ireland, Ireland, who were easily dispatched in what was Jack Charlton's last game of the country. The Netherlands joined Czech Republic from Group E. Portugal sailed through, as did Germany and Bulgaria in a USA 1994 reunion. Of course, Bulgaria eliminating Germany from the quarterfinals in America. Russia qualified undefeated without a hitch, completing their transition from Soviet Union to CIS and now Russia, alongside Scotland, Scotland who lost just once. So let's get to the main tournament. England opened up. Shearer scored his first goal in an England shirt for two years, but England collapsed to a draw. Turk Yilmaz capitalised on Tony Adams' clumsy, clumsy challenge and the forward equalised late from the spot. Neither Holland or the Netherlands, or Scotland could put the pressure on England. Battling out in a stalemate at Villa Park, Edgar David seen as a scapegoat by manager Gus Hiddink, who was then benched for the upcoming game against Switzerland. A verbal spat followed. David said that Hiddink needed to get his head out of some of the players' asses, and for that he was sent home. Pictures of segregation within the camp, the Ajax pay gap between the likes of Danny Blind and the DeBoer twins compared to Patrick Clivert and Edgar Davids had created a divide prior to the tournament. Clarence Sadoff almost followed Edgar Davids home whilst Danny Blind was allegedly happy to see the back of Davids in particular. Curious European Championship scheduling gave the Netherlands just a three-day break, but England a seven-day break. Regardless, Netherlands overcame Switzerland, and after toiling in the first half, England overcame Scotland in the huge clash in the group. Shearer headed in, ramping up his golden boot opportunities with now two from two, and the two minutes that changed the entire landscape of England's tournament. Gary, miss- Gary McAllister missed a penalty, Yuri Geller allegedly moving the ball but it's probably wind let's be honest and then England go up the other end of the pitch and despite not really performing to a standard during the game during the tournament Paul Gascoigne ignited England with that famous goal the clip over Colin Hendry the volley the dentist chair celebration this win the 2-0 win for England established a pecking hard but with Netherlands to play England and Scotland to play Switzerland it was still very very tight Switzerland were done for. At Villa Park, Alan McCoyce getting Scotland's winner, his final Scotland goal, they were going through. That was because Alan Shearer, Teddy Sheringham, absolutely destroyed the Dutch on what was arguably England's greatest performance at Wembley since the 1966 World Cup final. Shearer got his third of the tournament from the spot 
whilst an 11-minute triple salvo ended it. Shearer's second, the pick of the bunch, Sheringham getting the other two, and they were just superb. What stopped Scotland from going through? Well, Patrick Clivert's late goal, sending Scotland out on goal scored. One of the one of the more imaginative ways that Scotland have been eliminated from group stages in tournaments gone by. The opener in Group B threatened to shape the entirety of the group. Risto Stoichkov got Bulgaria on the path, just like he did in 1994, from the spot, this time in Leeds against Spain. But Alfonso would equalise late on in the day. Meanwhile, France won against a Romanian side featuring Georgi Hadji, the talismanic Georgi Hadji. In fact, Stoichkov would perform Papin, Papan-esque abilities from 1992. Papan, of course, in Sweden, scored all of his country's goals. Stoichkov would do so for Bulgaria, but ultimately they would bow out of the competition in spite of Stoichkov scoring the winner against Romania. He would grab a consolation in Newcastle against France. Unfortunately, Stoichkov racially abused Marcel Desailly, yet typically on UEFA's part, they wouldn't punish him. France would be through, though. Players such as Yuri Jorkaev scoring the equaliser against Spain and Laurent Blanc scoring the opener against Bulgaria meant that they would star this time and would bubble to the fore for 1998, a World Cup which France hosted, of course. But would it be too soon for success this time round? The transition was made fairly late on in the day from the failure to qualify for the World Cup in 1994 and this was very much a incremental climb for the French team around this time. Meanwhile in Leeds in the last game, Spain snatched qualification at the death of Guillermo Amor goal in the 84th minute dispatching Romania 2-1. Meanwhile in Group C it was probably what you'd call a group of death. Five European championships split between the likes of Germany, Czech Republic, Italy and Russia. Russia were recovering from Soviet dissolution and had a lot of players back after they missed the 1994 World Cup. However, they were put to one side quite easily by an Italian team and then a German team. First a Pierluigi Casaraghi double and then a double of his own from Jürgen Klinsmann. Also see a majestic Matthias Sammer who was coming right to the fore and earning his Ballon d'Or award. Meanwhile, Czech Republic stunned Italy, Pavel Nedved and Federico Chiesa trading goals before a first half winner. It left Italy needing a helping hand from Russia, who could still qualify with a win and a Germany win. Italy, though, were poor. Paolo Maldini couldn't handle the likes of Pavel Nedved or Andrei Kanchelskis in games, surprisingly enough. Meanwhile, though, Germany needed a point to be sure, and they got that point. That left Russia eliminated, and Czech Republic and Italy's qualification firmly up in the air. Czech Republic sauntered into a two-goal lead, but a sloppy second-half display saw that lead firmly evaporate. Russia got a third goal that would progress Italy into the quarterfinals until Vladimir Smitsa, 88th minute, clinched the 3-3 draw. Czech Republic would join Germany in the quarterfinals. Would they be reunited somewhere down the line? Of course they would, you know the story by now. Group D seemed as open as any group really, probably the weakest among the four groups. We had the Holders Denmark from 1992, the New Boys and Dark Horses in Croatia and also a return in Portugal who weren't too bad either. Turkey on the other hand failed to register a single goal and were dispatched with three fairly simple defeats. The first of those came in Nottingham, late on thanks to Croatia's Goran Vlajovic. Vlajovic less than a year removed from having a blood clot removal on his brain. 
It was Croatia's first tournament match that went one better five days later, Davos Suka scoring one of the all-time great goals in European Championships history or in football in general, considering the goalkeeper that he chipped to make it uh, 3-0 against Denmark, the great Peter Schmeichel, of course. Denmark weren't out, though. They had a glimmer of hope thanks to a 1-1 against Portugal at Hillsborough, and it left Croatia as the only team through, meaning that a point would give them Czech Republic in the quarterfinals. Meanwhile, Denmark needed a 3-0 win. Brian Laudrup complied with a brace, which meant that a Croatia win against Portugal would send them through. However, Luis Figo, Jao Pinto ran in first half goals in a 3-0 win, ensuring that Portugal would be through, winning the group. Meanwhile, Croatia would be handed quite possibly the hardest tie of the lot, Germany. After this short break, a 2021 trivial teaser. And of course, after that, rounding off the rest of Euro 96. Welcome back. Well done to the likes of Hull City Mister on Twitter, Dean, Jake and George for the following answer, which was, of course, Emil Forsberg. Congratulations. Today I am a striker, a centre forward. I've been managed by the likes of Nigel Clough and Harry Redknapp. Some of my teammates have been Thomas Kujak, Billy Sharp, Yannick Vestergaard, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg and Scott McTominay. I'm a striker who's been managed by Harry Redknapp and Nigel Clough. I've played alongside Thomas Kujak, Billy Sharp, Yannick Vestergaard, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg and Scott McTominay. Who could I possibly be? I'm sure someone out there will know. And if you think you know, tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube and we will reveal the answer on tomorrow's show, which will of course be another Euro Rewind, considering today is another rest day. And of course, we'll be continuing the theme Euro 2000. But first... We've got to round off the knockout phase of Euro 1996. Will football come home? Welcome back. So England were in a European Championship quarter-final. England's first, first ever European Championships knockout phase match since the semi-final in 1968. They lost that one to Yugoslavia late on and were incredibly lucky not to lose this one as well. Spain had a perfectly good goal ruled out and for all these rose-tinted spectacles that we have now of Euro 96, the the goal-scoring ability of Shearer, the match against the Netherlands, the Paul Gascoigne goal, Spain probably should have gone through in this quarter-final. Spain had the best of the first half, two goals ruled out, David Seaman on top form to save well as well and um, Spain should have had a penalty in the second half but fortunately for the English, Paul Gascoigne's trip on Alfonso was ruled a dive, bizarrely enough, and so it went to penalties, the dreaded penalty shootout where England had fallen in 1990 against West Germany, seeding their place in the World Cup final. This time, however, it started off quite well. Fernando Hierro had his spot kick crash against the bar and Stuart Pearce came to take a penalty. Stuart Pearce, of course, a player who had missed against West Germany in Italia 90 and with his spot kick conversion, not over the net, but into the goal, he roared in celebration at the crowd. One of the uh, great story arcs in English football history, of course. There would be a couple more to do with penalties, Euro 96, somewhere down the line, wouldn't they? And then Nadal fired it into Seaman and England were through 4-2 winners on Penalty shootout, 
the first and only penalty shootout win for England all the way until a certain Gareth Southgate took hold of the English national team and the 2018 World Cup, of course. The subsequent game also went to penalties, that being France and the Netherlands. In fact, the majority went to extra time or penalties, really, in what was a very pragmatic, defensively-minded knockout phase. Perhaps the game shouldn't have really gone to penalties, as Marcel Desailly handled in the box um, late on, but it wasn't seen by the referees in normal time. Netherlands were, of course, struggling. They had Edgar Davids gone home. They seemingly deep racial divides in the squad and Clarence Sadoff would miss the crucial kick with Lauren Blanc's penalty enough to progress a transitional French side into the semi-finals. It was France's first semi-final in a decade since 1986 where they were beaten of course by West Germany of course their first European Championship semi-final since 1984 where they of course won that tournament. Would they be good omens here in England? Hmm... <laughs> Joining them in the semi-finals was a team in their first semi-final for two decades. And in the last of the quarter-final, a moment of genius settled a rather humdrum quarter-final between Czech Republic and Portugal. One of my favourite goals from this tournament. Anyway, Karol Paborski's picture-perfect scoop over the Portuguese goalkeeper won them the quarter-final, won them a place in the semi-final. And off the back of that, probably alone, won Paborski a contract at Old Trafford with Manchester United, of course. The previous night, Jürgen Klinsmann and Matthias Sammer, Germany's two standouts, really, in the uh, in the tournament, combined against Croatia. They won 2-1 in a tight affair to progress to yet another semi-final, their third in a row in the European Championships. Klinsmann would, unfortunately for the Germans, miss the semi-final, being kicked out of the game by Croatia. And who would they face in that semi-final? Well, of course it was England. But first, we had... A goalless affair in Manchester in the first semi-final. Semi-finals that were both both settled by the lottery, quote-unquote, of the penalty shootout. Czech Republic were hampered by injuries and spent suspensions, five or six if you count them up correctly. France were ha- hampered by a lack of quality and a rather tired Zinedine Zidane who had um, he'd played a long season of football from a young age. Giordano de Bordeaux was his team at this stage and they reached a UEFA Cup final only to be dispatched by Bayern Munich over two legs. He would, of course, earn a move off the back of this tournament to Juventus. But first, Czech Republic, France, Old Trafford, a dire game of football, nil-nil, went all the way to penalties where Reynald Pedros missed whilst all all six of Czech Republic's kicks were converted. Czech Republic were to play in their first European Championship final, first final of any kind really, in two decades since, of course, 1976, Penenka, where they would face West Germany, beat West Germany as well. And would it be Germany waiting for them in this final? The Omens looked good. The story of the other semi-final was a similar story at Wembley between England and Germany, all the way to penalties. The history was there, of course, 1966, on the same bit of land where Jeff Hurst and the boys beat West Germany 4-2. Of course, they were good omens for Germany as well. They'd beaten England in 1990 in the semi-finals via a penalty shootout of the World Cup. And in between was a uh, timid 0-0 draw at the 1982 World Cup, which sent West Germany through, sent England home as a result. 
Like 1990, this went the latter. The way of Germany, the way of penalty shootouts with Stefan Kuntz equalising Alan Shearer's early header as England started off like a house on fire, unfortunately. They perhaps scored too early in the game and the equaliser from Germany killed England's momentum dead in the water. The game would go to midnight hour, the midnight sun, Wembley looking resplendent under the sun, under the floodlights. And because of the golden goal rule being enacted, this was probably the best golden goal period of extra time we we ever really saw, unfortunately, or rather fortunately. That rule would be abandoned in 2002 at the World Cup where a number of games were settled by golden goal. And the uh, subsequent European Championships in 2004, which we'll be looking at on the other side of the weekend here on Euro Daily, was uh, was replaced by Silver Goal, which is a whole different kettle of fish, whole different kettle of fish altogether. And this game probably, it felt like the final. It felt like it should have been the final. A number of England supporters, Wembley as a whole, didn't turn out for the for the final. Obviously, with it not being an English team in there, with Germany and Czech Republic, with that reunion from the group stages, Chris Evans live on TV ripped up two tickets to a final as well, summing up the uh, contempt for this result and the national mood after such a peak following a horrific trough. And that trough included Darren Anderton's miss against the post in Golden Call Extra Time, which, if he had had the composure, he was beyond... Andy Kopke, the German goalkeeper, if he'd have taken a touch, he would have had an open net and it would have been England 2, Germany 1 and we wouldn't have had to suffer from an English perspective. Paul Gascoigne's toes, his feet not being long enough to uh, seal another goal <laughs> in the golden goal extra time. A brilliant move, Shearer to Sheringham, a volley and Paul Gascoigne gambled on the goalkeeper getting a touch. And in terms of Gaza's 4D chess thinking in that split second, he didn't have the natural instinct of a striker. And a striker in that position would have gambled on him not getting a touch, thrown himself at the ball. And England would have won 2-1, perhaps been European champions. But of course, that is a what if. A what if that we've actually done. So check that out on YouTube. What if Paul Gascoigne scored the goal against Germany in 1996? Spoiler, England win the Euros and everybody lives happily ever after. That's not to say that Germany didn't have their chances to uh, win the game in golden goal either. They had a header, seemingly a perfectly good header, ruled out and it looked like Germany had killed the game dead. But fortunately for England, they survived. They survived and would take the game to penalties. And penalties, it's Germany, it's England. There was only one way it was going to go and after 10 perfect penalties really... Fantastic penalties to shoot. Pierce scored again. Gaza scored. Shearer and Sheringham were perfect as well. And then it came down to sudden death. England hadn't factored into the <laughs> to the fact that the shootout could go to sudden death. Picked five penalty takers and Gareth Southgate strode up the centre half for England. His connection was all wrong. It floundered into the goalkeeper's arms. Andy Kopka saves. And then Andreas Moller, captain for the evening in the absence of Jürgen Klinsmann, strode up, confident, smashes the ball straight down the middle. David Seaman, no chance. Germany, through to the final, celebrates in the corner where the German fans were earlier this week, 
but in a different stadium, of course. Celebrated with his chest puffed out, Germany had made the final and with that effectively won the tournament as most believed. On the other hand, Gareth Southgate, he had a Pizza Hut commercial to film with Stuart Pearce and Chris Waddle, two players who of course missed in 1990. Joining those illustrious names would be Jamie Carragher, David Beckham, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Darius Vassell, David Batty, among others, Ashley Young, Ashley Cole. All people who have missed for England in a penalty shootout at a major tournament, Jordan Henderson as well, but that is all forgiven. All forgiven because 22 years later, England would of course avenge that penalty defeat. Southgate at the front and centre of it as the England manager, coaching England to a first penalty shootout win since the Spain win in 1996, which we have spoke of today. So Germany marched on to the final to meet Czech Republic, a repeat of the 1976 final which Czech Republic won, or rather Czechoslovakia won, but also a repeat of the group stage game where Germany won quite handsomely. It was seen as a foregone conclusion, nobody in England particularly cared. And then Patrick Berger scored from the spot in second half, um, from the spot at Wembley. Germany, they were missing a lot of players, they were either injured, suspended or unfit. Moller, Reuter, Koller, Bobic, Basler, Schneider, all missing for Germany, one way or another. Klinsmann wasn't fully fit, which opened the door for one Oliver Bierhoff, equalised before scoring the first ever golden goal at Euros. And what a goal it was. <laughs> and he uh, eclipsed the ball rather tamely into Petr Kuba, the uh, Czech goalkeeper's arms. And it, the ball just squirts through, ends up in the net and... The European Championships is killed dead. Five minutes into the Golden Goal extra time. Germany win. Czech Republic aren't afforded the right of reply. That was Oliver Bierhoff's first first German game since the Russia game earlier on in the tournament. And uh, like Horst Rubrecht, wasn't internationally recognised on the international level. He was after this, scoring twice in the final, like Rubrecht did in the 1980 final against Belgium. Another tournament which Germany inevitably triumphed in. It was a lax strike. It was probably, inarguably, the worst goal to settle a game of tournament football, major tournament football. The golden goal rule would claim another victim four years later, but we'll be talking about that tomorrow, of course, won't we? And um, for all the rose-tinted spectacles, the sunshine, three lions on a shirt, Badil and Skinner, the lightning seeds, etc., England's five games accounted for 30% of the attendance, dwindling figures if you watch any of the other games you'll be, perhaps with the exception of Scotland as well. Figures range from 10,000 at St James's Park. Regardless, it's not the St James's Park that holds 50-odd thousand today, but still it's a third full for some games. Villa Park the same, Hillsborough the same, Old Trafford as well. Big stadiums that couldn't be sold out for games, including the likes of Italy, Germany, Czech Republic, Portugal, etc., etc. There were games that could be transplanted with uh, better high-definition technology and be shown today in terms of Euro 2020 and the COVID-ravaged tournament that we were in the uh, process of watching, and they wouldn't feel out of place because of the dwindling attendance figures at Euro 96. No COVID, though, fortunately, in 1996. We'll be back tomorrow with another European Championships Rewind on the Eurodaily podcast. We are covering perhaps the greatest ever 
tournament in living memory, Euro 2000. A golden goal would settle it, but who would win? Would England rise and win a European Championship? No. Would Germany reclaim their crown? No. Would a new pretender, a new contender in the likes of Spain, Portugal, even the Netherlands come to the fore? Well, we'll just have to find out tomorrow. Until then, thank you for listening throughout these Euro Daily podcasts. Thank you for watching every content that I put out on YouTube, etc. Until tomorrow, see the England versus Ukraine, it's coming home. Sports Social Podcast Network.